0: Tonight, I'm just enjoying continuing our, our study through the book of Acts, so I'm going to pick up, uh, continuing what I've been sharing with you over the past months, and that is just truths from the book of Acts, so what I've kind of come to see as ministry principles or um, just uh, practical lessons for Christian life, really. But if, you, if I can um, take you back And remind you of where we've been in case you've missed. We started in Acts chapter one, verse eight, which says, And you will receive power when my Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses. And we talked about the necessity um, of the Holy Spirit's filling in order to be a witness for Christ. The Holy Spirit's filling Holy Spirit's filling is not a luxury, it's a necessity. Um, and it's something that we know that we need to do often um, to be filled, to be being filled, as it, as it says in Ephesians chapter 5. In Acts chapter 2, verse 42, we looked at the strength within the church and those things which every church should be focused on. And that's um, where it says, and they gave themselves to the apostles' doctrine and to prayer and to, and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread. Four things that every healthy church should be doing. In Acts chapter 4 and in John 21, we looked at the idea of fellowship and how fruitful service for the Lord begins when we have fellowship with the Lord. And there's just that wonderful passage, verse in Acts chapter 4, which says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained, they marveled and they realized they had been with Jesus. And so for us, the the importance of seeking that relationship with the Lord. And, and more than anything, that's what he wants. Before he wants our work, he wants our fellowship. And then in Acts chapter 3, the story of the lame man, Peter and John going to the temple, um, didn't have him silver and gold, but they did have and they gave what they have. Silver and gold I don't have, but what I do have I give thee. And just a reminder that um, as we're living... There are many things that we don't have to give, but we shouldn't focus as Christians on what we don't have. Uh, focus on what we do have. We all have giftings um, that God wants to use um, in us to minister to others. In Acts chapter six, we looked at the apostles' um, adherence to the main thing, which was the word of God in prayer. Um, and we need to keep the main thing in the main thing in our own lives. The word of God in prayer needs to be foundational. And then last week, we looked at the life of Philip, and it was, I I love Philip as an example of a life that God uses, and we looked at his faithfulness, we looked at his availability, we looked at his obedience, we looked at his preparation, and we looked at his perseverance. A wonderful example of a man that we don't have a huge picture of. He comes in and he goes out of Scripture, but certainly he gives us... um, a good lesson by which to live, a, a lesson of a life that God uses. And tonight, what I want to do is use the life of the Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 13, um, focusing specifically on this whole issue of preparation, uh, being prepared for service for the Lord. Um, certainly, I think we all want to be used of the Lord. We come the church week by week with um, not only the idea that we want to be blessed, but we have this understanding that the abundant life, the fulfilled life is wrapped up in um, service to the Lord. We want to be used of the Lord. And in order to be in that place where we can be used, certainly we need to go through that time of preparation. And I, I know that I've shared my testimony with you. Um, about the years that the Lord took me through, you know, when I had ideas of going to be a missionary. And um, the Lord would kind of close that door and take me on a path which would go 13 years before the Lord would eventually open up the door for us, my wife and I, to go on the mission field. And in hindsight, I'm, I'm so glad that um, we were able to hear the Lord in that moment and submit to what the Lord had for us and not just bulldoze our way into what we thought was God's will for our life. And so we're going to look at Acts chapter... um, Well, our main passage is going to be the end of Acts chapter uh, 12, the beginning of Acts chapter 13. And I'm going to read that. Acts chapter 12, verse 25. Going through Acts chapter 13, verse 3. And it says, And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their ministry, And they also took with them John, whose surname was Mark. Now in the church that was in Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manan, who had been brought up with with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And they ministered to the Lord and fasted. And the Holy Spirit said, sorry, as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, now separate from me, for me. Barnabas and Saul for the work which I have called them then having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them they sent them on their way I want to here we in Acts chapter 13 we're on really the cusp of Paul's public ministry from Acts chapter 13 through to the end of Acts chapter 28 it's the book of the book of Acts is all about Paul and really um, when you look at the first twelve chapters, it's more about Peter, and as you step into Acts chapter thirteen, it's more about Paul. Um, but Paul didn't just come to this moment in time where all of a sudden he was sent off. There was there was preparation, and I want to look at tonight the years of preparation that oftentimes we we overlook because we often admire Saint Paul. We admire what he did, where he went. The trials, the tribulations that he went through and he endured. But what was the preparation that enabled him, number one, to understand his call, number two, to say yes to that call, and number three, to endure that call? What was that preparation? And then, secondly, to bring it back to ourselves, understanding that we are all called of God. You know, there's not some super Christians that are called to do this and that, and then the rest of us are just called to live normal lives. No, we're all called to uh, a life of serving the Lord in some capacity. In other words, we all have a calling. And sometimes we, we so badly want to jump into the calling that we neglect being patient in the preparation that God has for us in order to be successful in that calling. And that's exactly what I want to look at tonight and ask the question, are we patient in the preparation that God has for us? And are we persevering in that preparation and understanding what preparation is? You know, is it just sitting and waiting for the sunbeam or the light beam to come down from heaven and say, okay, I'm separating you, Trent, for the ministry now? Or is there something else that we need to be obedient to? And so, my the title of my message is Patience and Perseverance in Preparation. Um, now, I want to start with Saul. You know, like all of us, uh, the story of, I'm going to just, for the sake of no confusion, I'm just going to call him uh, Paul. Um, his name changes from Saul to Paul, but let's just call him Paul for tonight. Um, Paul had a before Christ. Um, He had that time in his life when he he wasn't a believer. So what do we know about the Apostle Paul? Well, if you turn back in your Bible to chapter 7, verse 58... We get our first glimpse of the Apostle Paul here. It says in verse 58, as they were stoning Stephen, it says they cast him out of the city and they stoned him and the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. Okay, Saul, Paul. So the first glimpse of the Apostle Paul before Christ was at the stoning of Stephen. Now understand, certainly if he was In Jerusalem at this time, he would have been familiar with with Jesus. He would have been familiar with Christ. He would have been familiar with the crucifixion. Um, And certainly, he heard, I'm sure he heard Jesus' teachings. But, and at the same time, he claimed to be zealous for God. But in his mind, the Christ that he saw, or he witnessed in some way or another, we don't know exactly how, was not anything to do with the God who he worshipped. So he was there, and as he heard Stephen's testimony, it didn't do anything to him. It just made him angry. It It says he approved. We jump over to chapter 9, verse 1, and we see that... The, the murderous intent that was um, stirred up in, in Paul. It says, Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus. So if he found any who were on the way, whether men or women, sorry, men any found any of the way, that, those were the believers, um, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So not only did his zeal cause him to persecute in Jerusalem, he was actively going out into the neighboring um, towns and cities looking for the believers. Um, We know that Paul wasn't just a zealous brute. Um, If we turn to the book of Philippians, we see that he was quite the intellectual, he was He was quite qualified, um, quite respectable. He says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 3 through 6, he says, Though I myself have reasons for such confidence, if anyone else thinks he has reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of the tribe of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, sorry, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal persecuting the church, as for legalistic righteousness, I was faultless. And so not only was Paul zealous, but he had all the pedigree. He was, um, he was looked up to for his, for his intellect, for his um, education, respected. And so this is Paul before Christ, a very smart, zealous man who somehow did did not connect the Christ that came with the God that he said he worshipped. That was Paul before Christ. But then... Saul had an encounter with Jesus. And we get this in Acts chapter 9, verses 3 through 9. And I know you know this story, um, but we'll read it again. Acts chapter 9, verses 3 through 9, it says, So Paul was on his way to Damascus, and as he journeyed, he came to Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven, And he fell to the ground, and he heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus, who you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goats. So he, trembling, astonished, asked, Lord, what do you want me to do? And the Lord said to him, Arise and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. And the men journeyed with him and stood speechless, hearing a voice but seeing no one. Then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was there three days without sight, and he neither ate nor drank. Saul was on the road to Damascus to persecute the followers of Jesus, and he comes face to face with Jesus, and it's a personal thing with Jesus. Notice what Jesus said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Not why are you persecuting my church, not why are you persecuting my followers, why are you persecuting me? In other words, when Jesus says that we are his body, we are a part of him. And what's done to the church is done to him. What hurts the church hurts him. And so when Jesus says, why are you persecuting me, you can get the sense of Christ's love for his own church, for his body, for you and me. But Paul met Jesus on the road. Now this testimony is repeated to us in Acts chapter 22. Actually, we see this uh, testimony repeated three times in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 9, 22 and 26. But in chapter 22, there's a few more details. In verse 6 of 22, it says, Now it happened, as I journeyed and came near Damascus at about noon, suddenly a great light from heaven shone around me. And I fell to the ground, and I heard a voice which said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting? And so I answered him, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. And those who were with me indeed saw the light and were afraid. But they did not hear the voice. So I said, what shall I do? And the Lord said to me, arise and go to Damascus. And there you will be told all things which, you are, appoint, which are appointed for you to do. Saul met Jesus. And Jesus made it very clear who he was. It wasn't in Acts 9 it says Jesus in, in Acts chapter 22, Jesus of Nazareth. I'll forgive you. <laughs> um, <laughs> the very Jesus that Saul, that Paul had such a problem with, Jesus made it clear: "You're persecuting me when you persecute the church." He met Jesus, but it didn't. It wasn't just a meeting. There was a conversion, and we see that uh, his conversion became evident, and his calling became clear. When we look at chapter 9, verse 13, um, verse 13 through 16, um, then Ananias answered and said, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you came has sent that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once, and he arose and was baptized. And when he had received food, he was strengthened. And Saul spent some days with the disciples in Damascus. And if you turn to Acts 22, verses 9 through 10, and Acts 26, verses 14 through 18, Paul is repeating that very same testimony in different circumstances before various leaders towards the end of his life. But this was Paul's testimony, and in his testimony we see who he was before Christ, we see how he met Christ, and then ultimately we see how God would change him and how God would Uh, use him, how he would make his calling clear. He says here in verse 15, he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles. So God had a specific calling on Paul's life to take the gospel to the Gentiles. And verse 16, I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. Um, God had a calling on Paul to live a life that would include a lot of tribulation. And I'm sure that when Paul would recount this later on in the book of Corinthians and other books, he's thinking back. Yeah, God was right when he said, I will suffer a lot for his name's sake. I certainly have. But we see that he encountered Jesus. He met Jesus. He had, he was uh, saved. Um, and then God did something with his life. And I want us to think about um, our own testimony. We all have a testimony. And there's generally three parts to a testimony. Who we were before Christ, our BC. And I want us to think about our BC, our before Christ. You know, my, my before Christ was, in many people's eyes, quite, kind of boring. You know, I grew up in a very Christian home. And I didn't do anything really wild and crazy. And um, I came to the Lord when I was in college. And uh, that's when I really came to know the Lord as my Lord and Savior. And the Lord definitely um, put his hand on my life and showed me, confirmed in me, the calling that he had for me. And that was to be a minister for him in some capacity. But not all of us have that kind of testimony. Some of us have a testimony that we might uh, consider crazy. Some of us might consider we have a testimony that is shameful. But the wonderful thing is that no matter who we were before Christ, no matter who we were B.C., no matter how crazy, how shameful, how boring our testimony, our, our before Christ was, God can take And he will take it, and he will use it if you give it to him. And it will be a part of how God uses you on this earth to bring glory to himself. Amen? And, you know, I remember being a a young man and wishing, (laughs) wishing that my testimony was crazier than it is. I always admired those people who would stand up and and reeled off all the things that they used to do and all the things that God saved them from um, until I got to know how in so many ways the, they still have consequences and they still have issues that they deal with because of what they've done in their past so then I began thanking the Lord thank you, thank you Lord for saving me from that but nonetheless no matter what you were saved from before Christ you know there is a desire on God's part to use that, to turn it around and make it part of the glorious testimony, the glorious use that God has for you in this life. I love the truth of Romans eight twenty eight. We know that all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. For we know that all things. There's nothing... In those words that keeps anything out, all things, even the most horrific, even the most shameful, even the most embarrassing moments in our past life, even the worst mistakes given to God humbly in repentance, God can somehow turn those things around and make them useful in our life. And I know, that, um, I know that you know that, and I know that you've heard of testimonies of, and how, people, how God has used that in people's lives. So we all have that testimony. We all have the BC. We all have how we met Christ, and we all have that time of understanding who we are in Christ now. And the question is, have, have you taken time to consider your testimony? I remember when I was a missions pastor at our previous church and in preparation for doing missions outreaches or taking people on the mission field, I would ask people to do that exercise. I would ask them to write their testimony down, who they were before Christ, how they met Christ, and who they are now and what God is doing in them. And you know, I think it's something a lot of times, oh, I know my testimony, but we've really never stopped to consider and put it down. And it's, it's actually very useful because that simple story, um, as God used that story in Paul's life, if you read through the book of Acts and you look at Acts chapter 22 and 26, Paul is recounting his testimony and, and the Lord uses his testimony to bring others to the Lord. And I know that if, if you take time to do that exercise in your life, and maybe you already have, um, it will be something that God will use when you're with other people to share the goodness of what God has done. Really, that's the essence of evangelizing. You know, that's when we look at the parables, we think of the blind man, the lame man. You know, I know who I was. I was lame. I was blind, but now I see. Um, And that's what Jesus wants us to do. And so I would encourage you, take time to think about your testimony, who you were, before Christ. We don't need to spend a lot of time glorifying our sinful past. You know, people get that picture easily. How we met Christ. What were the circumstances that brought you to Jesus? And then what God has done in you since then. And that's where we should really spend time um, explaining to people who we were and what we are now. But um, Paul not only had a a sure testimony, but we see in the remainder of this passage going on here, we see that Paul was patient. You know, like David, David had that moment in time when he was he was anointed to be the king, but we know that there was a significant of t- time of preparation uh, before he actually became king. And so when we're in Acts chapter 13, where it says, and Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem... They had just returned from fulfilling their mission in Jerusalem, but what had they been doing? What had happened in these intervening years between Damascus and Jerusalem? Well, I'm going to take you through a little bit of a, um, of a timeline of the Apostle Paul's life so that you can get an idea of the context of the preparation that. That Paul went through before he sent out on the missionary journey before we see him doing all these great things for the Lord, so back in chapter nine verses 19 through thirty, um, right after his experience on the road to Damascus, we find Saul immediately proclaiming Christ in the synagogues of Damas- Damascus verse 19 so he received food, and he was strengthened, and Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. Immediately, he preached Christ in the synagogues, um, that he is the Son of God, that all who heard were amazed and said, is this not the one who destroyed those who called on his name in Jerusalem? And has he come here for that purpose, so that he might bring them bound to the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that this Jesus is the Christ. Now, after many days were passed, the Jews plotted to kill him, but their plots became known to Saul, and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. Then the disciples took him by night and led him down through the wall in a large basket and When Saul had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid. And did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. And he declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road and how he had spoken to him. And how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. And so he was with them at Jerusalem coming in and going out. And he spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed the Hellenists. But they attempted to kill him. But when the brethren found him, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him out to Tarsus. And so immediately after this time, uh, his conversion, he's in Damascus, he's proclaiming, the believers were afraid of him because of who he had been, and they didn't necessarily, necessarily believe that he was changed. The Jewish leaders were angry at him, wanting to stone him, but, and we find that the church was growing. Verse 31 says, then the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace, and they were edified. And they were walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. So that's happening immediately after um, Saul's uh, conversion. Now if we go back up to chapter 11, verse 19. Now those who were scattered after the persecution arose over, that arose over Stephen, traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, preaching the word, To no one but the Jews. But some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene. And when they came to Antioch, they spoke to Hellenists, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed. And so we see that in this time, the church in Antioch was beginning um, to grow, and the believers, the Gentile believers, were gathering there. In verses 20 through 24, um, news of the church in Antioch was reaching Jerusalem. And so it says there that they sent up Barnabas to check out what was going on. And when he witnessed the grace of God amongst these believers, it says he rejoiced and he encouraged them in God. And then in verses 25 and 26, as, as um, this, again, this is many years later, Barnabas leaves Antioch and he goes to Tarsus to find the apostle Paul who had been there for some time, and he finds him, and he brings him back to Antioch for a whole year. Um, And they met with the Christians there. And then in verses 27 and 28, it says, In those days prophets came from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them named Agabus stood up and showed by the Spirit that there were going to be a great famine throughout the world, which also happened to be in the days of Claudius Caesar. And the disciples, each according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brethren dwelling in Judea. This they also did, and they sent elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. And so Agabus prophesied of this this, um, famine, and the church in Antioch, who were Gentiles mostly, sent food aid down to Jerusalem in the charge of Saul and Barnabas. And so we come to uh, verse 25 of chapter 12. Saul and Barnabas have now returned from this journey of re- taking relief and food to Jerusalem. And it says in 25 Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their ministry, and they took with them John, whose surname was Mark. So remember back to chapter 9, verse 15. The Lord said to him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel to bear my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the children of Israel. Certainly God had put a calling on Saul's life. But what I get from this, and I I don't know if I conveyed it well, but between chapter 9 and chapter 13, there is a significant period of time. And Paul didn't immediately go, go from being a persecutor to an apostle. There was preparation that needed to happen in his life. And in those intervening years, if you read in Galatians and first, in Galatians 1 and in Second Corinthians chapter 11, he went from Damascus to Jerusalem where he was not really accepted by the apostles. From Jerusalem, he went to Arabia for maybe two years, and many people think that it was in that time of being alone that the Lord taught him concerning the Scriptures and how the Old Testament was fulfilled in the New Testament. He went back to Damascus for another three years, And then he went to his native city of Tarsus where it is believed he would spend 10 years before Barnabas would eventually find his way up there to Tarsus um, and bring him back down to Antioch so that he could serve in the church in Antioch. And so what I want you to see is the considerable amount of time between when God called Saul, Paul in Acts 9 I have a calling on your life, Saul. You're going to be an apostle to the Gentiles. You're going to suffer much in my sake. The time between that and Acts chapter 13 where now he's going to be being sent out. Some people believe it was between 14 and 17 years. And what's he doing? Well, in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 13... It says now in the church that was at Antioch there were certain prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. And as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said. So what were they doing? The Bible tells us that they were ministering. They were ministering before the Lord. You know that word minister is A simple word, it means to publicly serve in a sacred office, to perform the function of a pastor, leading worship or leading in ministerial functions. You know, Paul had been called in those intervening years and had been transformed from a persecutor to a pastor. That's what the Lord had been doing in his life. And what did he learn? He had been faithful in the preparation. Faithful for many years in doing the things that God had called him to do. And he learned, certainly he learned the truth of the gospel. He learned how the Old Testament, that the, how the New Testament fulfilled the Old Testament. He learned to trust God to protect him. In the story of him being let out of the wall in a basket, he learned to hear from God, certainly through, through Ananias, through the apostles, through the Spirit when he was in the desert. He learned to wait on God for instruction. He, he learned to submit to God as he submitted to the leadership of the apostles over him. And he learned to serve in practical and spiritual ways. The most uh, telling example is just being a part of a team that's taking food to Jerusalem. But what we, we see in, in Paul, and imagine him doing this for not just one year, but maybe 15 years, we see in Paul faithful in doing simple things, quiet and persevering obedience. And this is where we bring it back to, my, to, to ourselves. Um all of us like Paul have a calling. Like I said earlier, we're, there's not just a few super Christians that have a calling and the rest of us can live a normal life as we say normal. God has a calling for all of us. And whether a, you're a computer whiz, whether you're a grease monkey, whether you're a, a doctor, whether you're a baker, we all have a calling. On our life, But it doesn't mean that we're ready to jump into that role right now. There's a preparation that needs to take place in our life. Again, remember David, how he was called to be king and he endured 10 years of agony, of, of running, of being considered a vagabond, a, a rebel. And certainly those were years of preparation for what would eventually be um, his role as king. Do you know God's call in your life? Are you seeking and submitting to the preparation that he is putting you through? Again, relating it to my own life, I remember this very issue, and I, I don't, forgive me if I've shared this before, but it's some, something that was so um, vivid to me in hindsight you know, as a young man, so desperately wanting to serve the Lord, thinking that the only way to serve the Lord was to just radically leave the country and go and be a missionary in another part of the world. And the Lord very uh, clearly and almost harshly shut that door and would cause us to come back and serve in a church that I, I, didn't, have any, I didn't have any knowledge of in a city that I didn't really want to be in. But it was in those 12 years of, of just working and serving and eventually uh, going on staff and ministering that God would uh, prepare us for the ultimate work that, that he had for us, and that was to be missionaries in, in Uganda for 14 years. And when I look back on that, there were so many times my wife and I said as we sat there, we're so glad that we took time to be prepared. And not that we were totally prepared, but I'm just glad that we didn't, we weren't the bull in the china closet, we weren't the bulldozer just trying to accomplish God's will in our life. We, we were, at least in that moment in time, sensitive, and we're waiting on the Lord. And that's the way we always want to be. We always want to be in that place where we're not getting ahead of God, but we're allowing God in our time, in our place, uh, preparing us for what he has for us. Paul was, I'm getting close to the end here, but um, getting back into chapter 13, not only was he prepared, but he was obedient to the calling when it came. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate from me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. And again, I just I like what, how Scripture words that. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Separate me. The calling was a right calling. It wasn't Paul saying, okay, it's time for me to go. Somehow the Holy Spirit stepped into that situation and made it clear not only to Paul but the other elders and the believers who were there to separate Paul and Barnabas for that work. It was the Holy Spirit that called them to the task. The calling of Paul is listed in Ephesians chapter 4.11, along with uh, prophets and evangelists, pastors and teachers, as one of the gift of, gifts of the Spirit, the, 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 um, the gifting of the apostle. And those who have these gifts are to use it for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. We might not all have the gift of being an apostle, But as you're sitting here, our goal as pastors and teachers is to equip, I think that's part of our mission, our theme, to equip the saints for the work of service. And what is service? Service is that which builds up the body of Christ. A more literal translation of that passage in Ephesians says, for the compassionate, loving service... To the body of Christ, so that it is built up. That's the work of service, compassionate, loving service to the body of Christ. We all have a calling, and well, maybe God hasn't revealed that to you yet, but are you submitting to the preparation that God has for you in the place that you are now? And are you open to being obedient to the calling when that time comes? We see that Paul was prepared, but he also was was able to hear. It says in verse 3 Then having fasted and prayed, they laid their hands on them and they sent them on their way. They obeyed the calling of the Holy Spirit. I believe that part of being prepared is learning to listen to the Holy Spirit. And Barnabas and Paul were prepared in that point. They were sensitive to the Holy Spirit promptings in their life. Paul was obedient to go. But his obedience to go came only after those many years of being prepared to go. And when you read on in chapter 13, you'll read that Paul and John Mark and Barnabas would go on a journey that started in Antioch, it would take them to Cyprus, they would go to southern Turkey, they would revisit um, some of the same areas as they came home. And maybe we'll get time to study that later, but it's a fascinating journey, a lot went wrong. But none of the things that went wrong, or none of the hardships, or none of the difficulties deterred Paul from getting up and doing it again, and again, and again, four missionary journeys, ultimately leading him to um, giving his life uh, for the cause of Christ. And it started with a testimony, and it continued with a preparation And it ended with being obedient to the calling that God had on his life. And so as I end this evening, we're certainly not Apostle Pauls. And sometimes the very fact that we compare ourselves to the Apostle Paul is a discouragement to us because we say, oh, I can't be the Apostle Paul. So then we kind of just give up and say, well, I can't be a Christian then. Well, I don't think that that is a valid comparison certainly god used the apostle paul in a very special way because of the apostle paul because of his willingness to suffer we have so many of the books of the bible that are written because of his willingness to suffer the gospel went to places that it may not have gotten to but that's the apostle paul he did have a testimony He did have a calling. He was prepared. And he was faithful to be obedient to that call. And Paul says in the book of uh, Timothy, he he says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race that is set before me. And the important thing for us as Christians is not to compare our race to that of the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul had his race. I have my race. You have your race. The important thing is to be faithful to run the race that God has set before you. Not to be comparing yourself to someone else. Not to be uh, justifying yourself based on what others are doing. But to run the race that God has set before you. And I love those words that Paul uses. I have finish the race which he has set before me. And that goes back to understanding the calling that God has upon our life. We all have a testimony. We all have that time of preparation. And we all have the calling upon our life. And that's the race. And are we clear of that? And I would just encourage you, uh, as we end tonight, uh, to think on your own testimony and to make that a very practical and real thing in your life so that it becomes a tool that you can use in your witness for the Lord. And don't be ashamed if it's simple. Don't be ashamed if it's not out of this world crazy. It's what God has given you. Be content with it. Be happy with it. God will use it because... It's, the test, it's not your testimony, it's the testimony of what God has done in you. Amen? And then, be patient in the preparation. And this might go more to the young people. We all want to do great things for the Lord. Doing great things for the Lord requires time of preparation to do those things. Paul had 10 to 15 years of, of that preparation. And certainly, we shouldn't think that we can be prepared to do anything greater in a lesser time. And then lastly, understand and be obedient to the calling that God has for you. We all have a calling. Not just a few of us. We all do. And certainly, it's not, to, it's not for all of us to go to another part of the world. Certainly, I see there's such a desperate need in this country for people who are who are actively taking the gospel into our own culture which is so rapidly being degraded. Amen.